live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to a special edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He is the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. And folks, we have some special guests in the studio because there's a very big comic event that you need to know about if you don't know already. 2022 kicks off with Image Comics dropping a massive event. Okay. Some will say it's super massive, and rightfully so, because the creators behind this are bringing some incredible content with it, and we are very fortunate to have them on the line with us. So, ladies and gentlemen of the ODPH Society, please give a warm welcome from Inferno Girl Red, Matt Groom, from Rogue Sun, Ryan Parrott, and from Radiant Black, Kyle Higgins. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having us. Yeah. Awesome. And you're getting a bonus support uh, from all three books. <laughs> Editor slash designer, Mr. Michael Basudel. Oh, Ooh, thank you. Nice. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. So, guys, with this crossover coming, and Supermassive is the only way to describe it, how did this all come together? Lots of screaming. Gonna, Matt or Michael's going to take that one this time. I think we've all been working on our creator-owned superhero books for years. Um, and as much as the timeline might not reflect it, uh, or the publishing timeline, rather, uh, it they'd all kind of, like, we've been in development for, yeah, about the same time. And as we were all working on our books that are, uh, I think they cover different ground. They all have a different vibe. They have different things to say. Uh, there is also some overlap, I think. There is definitely some Tokusatsu influences. And I think uh, that's because we are all of a similar generation and we have similar sensibilities. And um, we uh, either have all or will be all working on Power Rangers comics at some point. Um, so I think we, we've, and we're all friends. So there's a lot of points of connection. So as we're working on these books, I think it became a pretty natural conversation of, well, we could probably bring these things together right and i think because we're working in image and the freedom there is incredible i think the natural question that came up was like what does the crossover event look like without corporate restrictions what does it look like when we can do literally whenever whatever we want and no one's telling us what to do can we imagine the crossover event of the future in the same way that radiant black and i think our books have been trying to imagine the superhero comics of the future um, and since we had those conversations, I think we all got really excited and excited to work together and went from there. I just love the idea that we all dated the Power Rangers and then get together and drink and talk about our problems. To <laughs> 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 <I just> realize. <laughs> That's how we bond. Some of us are still dating the Power Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And you, like you touched upon how this is all career-owned. How is the feeling going in with this that there's just no restrictions, really? This is just your own story? that you can tell, I mean, that's got to be just such an exciting feeling going into this. It's incredibly exciting, um, but with it, I feel, anyway, comes uh, a good deal of responsibility. And, you know, when you have no limitations and you can do anything, you know, you hear a lot of filmmakers talk about 
the question then becomes, okay, well, what don't you do? Um, and that's the thing with a book like this is like, I feel an immense amount of responsibility to take really big swings with Radiant Black. Um, if you're gonna, it's a crowded shelf space and it's a crowded genre of the media that is superhero comics. Um, and so uh, I've already forgotten your question, um, but <laughs> the image and freedom is just the freedom of like that now this is so creator owned. And that you really don't have anybody kind of looking over your shoulder saying, no, you can't do this, you can't do that. Just what is the feeling of excitement? Like, I mean, that's the only thing I could imagine it's got to be with this. It's very exciting. It really is. It's, it's also something that, um, like I said, you feel responsibility for. We all do anyway. But it, it's, it's, it's a thing that can feel daunting when you're putting something together, though, because there's no safety net. You're, you're building characters and an idea and a book and you know you don't know if it's going to work or if it works you don't even know if it's going to find an audience and i think what's been so exciting about radiant black and leading into supermassive now and obviously inferno girl red and i'm i'm a part of that book and i've helped out a little on rogue sun and watching those books come together and for me sitting here knowing what's coming is probably the greatest thrill because uh, like I love these guys to death and we've all known each other for years. And so for them to come and join the party, I mean, Michael's been here the whole time, I guess. Um, <laughs> this is it's not a video podcast, Michael. You, you need to- uh, Oh, say something, not just shrug. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, you know. <laughs> but it's very exciting because we take that freedom. Uh, we don't take that freedom lightly. I'll put it that way. No, fair enough with that. And now, with the characters involved, can you give a quick synopsis of like who's the major players involved with this? I can yeah. do that. Why don't Why don't I do that so you don't Please, have to talk friend. about your own books? Love it. Uh, Radiant Black is a guy named Marshall. Uh, spoilers for Radiant Black so far: his best friend got superpowers and then died, and he ended up with them. Um, so he's been through the ringer, but now, like, he rescued his best friend. Things are finally starting to look up for him. And then a whole other multiversal thing is about to happen that is going to gonna throw him into it. Uh, Rogue Son is a man named Marcus Bell, who has been Rogue Son for a while at this point. He, he inherited the powers from his father uh, and defends New Orleans from supernatural threats. Uh, and he has, truly does not want to be involved in any of this, but ends up involved in all of this, and uh, that's some fun. And then Inferno Girl Red is Cassia Costa. She's from somewhere else. Uh, she ends up here for reasons that will become obvious once people read Inferno Girl Red, which is not quite out yet, uh, and ends up again in the middle of all of this. Uh, she is younger than the rest of them newer to superheroing than the rest of them uh but that's got pros as well as cons i think okay uh and i just gotta say you know regarding radiant black i was really into it. i haven't been that into a book since i started reading the walking dead comics that like once i started it i just couldn't pick it put it down 
you know, and, and you had me real hooked at the beginning, you know, because personally, you know, I really related to the start of that with a guy who like struck out on his own from his parents, you know, ran into some issues and had to move back in, you know, with his parents. So I'm like, Oh, I really connect with this. And then obviously without going into spoilers, you get partway through that book. And I'm like, Oh man, you know, but it's such a good read. And I, and I really love everything about it. his His situation weirdly got worse. Yeah. Yeah, no, it did. So I appreciate, you know, because I hadn't felt that connected to a character in quite a long time. So that really helped hook me into the book. Uh, well, thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. I, I, I will say then uh, you have to be very excited uh, to know that you're about to have two more series uh, that may give you that same type of experience. Yeah. Yeah, and that's going to be coming out of this crossover. So, like, this won't just be a standalone uh, story, is it? It's going to kind of roll into the other books? Yeah, actually, I think, Ryan, that's probably the perfect spot to to chat about what Rogue Sun as a series looks like coming out of Supermassive to the extent that you want to say. That's the fun thing about doing these podcasts is that I actually haven't even thought about how to do this yet, which is how to talk about it. He means not well, how, <laughs> how to talk about going from supermassive into rogue sun without spoiling everything. But I guess that's not necessarily a bad thing. I don't know. I think, I think Ryan, the solicit for rogue someone is out there. Okay. So I think you can, you can talk about that big thing without, all right, cool, yeah. yeah. So one of the things that was kind of interesting about this was when I originally pitched uh, Rogue Son to Kyle when we were like, I think we at a football game or something, and he was like, you should do that book. And I pitched it as, a, as the story is about a kid, uh, sort of this, you know, sort of this rebellious teenager whose father passes away. And what happens is he finds out that his father was, in fact, a superhero and has left him his powers and um and abilities and so now this kid in order to sort of become a superhero has to learn about you know the, the the father that he hates most in the world and has to deal with that right well we're actually going to see the father in supermassive that's the main character oh wow that's, that's the, not the main character, but that's the character that you meet in supermassive and he's going to die in my book so, <laughs> so yeah spoilers but uh it's okay we talk about it in the thing but like that's the fun of it was like in the original i hadn't really ever thought about expanding him out in the way in in sort of real time and so when we talked about doing supermassive it's like oh my gosh that's the perfect way to do it um and so it's kind of an interesting sort of a prequel setup for my book and you know so yeah that's the best way i can describe it but like it's a it's a it's a father-son story in a sense of, of sort of like you know dealing with you know the guy that wasn't there and sort of trying to become your own man and all that stuff so that's how rogue sun's going to be but it was fun to actually have a book set up everything and actually get people to who who all the people who listen to this podcast won't be surprised. If anybody who doesn't will probably read the Supermassive and go, oh, I like this guy, and then read the next book and go, what? <laughs> That's great. Well, I think what Ryan's describing there is part of what, I, frankly, I'm so impressed by us having pull, pulled off in that Supermassive is a self-contained story. Like, it is one, it's like beginning, middle, and end. I think if you just read that, you'd, you'd be uh, satisfied and have a great time. But it is also foundationally connected to the other series. And you're going to have a much richer experience with all three if you pick up Supermassive. And I think you're going to get such an exciting look at what's ahead for 
all three books and the the massive verse in general in picking up this book. So I can't wait for people to get that little window into what's ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Because especially this would be a great now for the way I'm getting this. Supermassive is going to be almost like a welcome for new readers to check out the two new books along with Radiant Black. Yep. And yeah, we all nodded. Absolutely. Yes. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and 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 specifically, there are there are bits in there as it relates to Radiant Black that are the ne- like they are a continuation of status quo changes uh, at the end of issue eleven. However, um, you will know everything you need to know if you were to just pick up Supermassive Cold. Um, but there's also some teases of things perhaps to come in Radiant Black. Um, that, you know, whereas Supermassive is, is, is exploring and teeing up Infernal Girl and Rogue Sun, um, it's also teeing up perhaps something... I don't know. You can't talk about this without spoiling it, Kyle. Seismic uh, for Radiant Plaque. Okay. That would be that would be fair fair statement. Mm-hmm. So um, about spoilers. I just told everybody my guy was. <laughs> <laughs> we very much think of this as like a really awesome Doctor Who, you know, holiday special, special or anniversary. Yeah. Okay. Special okay. Yeah. Movie. You know, th- that's how we really all think about this. And tonally, I think that's that's a fair kind of assessment as well. But what's what's ultra fun is like, I remember being a kid and coming home. I was seven or eight years old and co- I just turned eight and I was coming home from a summer vacation at a house on the rock in Wisconsin, uh, uh, which is where I then years later when I'm reading American Gods, I go, oh, I've been there. Oh, wow, that's that's wild. Um, well, it was a particularly exciting trip because we found um, the Blade Blaster, Power Ranger toy, uh, and some weird, you know, like uh, what turned out to be a Thunderzord uh, at the, the, you know, the Toys R Us. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. In Wisconsin. And uh, I was like, what are these? These weren't on the show. And then I got home and my, I had set the VCR to record from the TV guide for a certain generation. Uh, mm-hmm. listing of Power Rangers at 7 p.m. on like a Saturday night. Wow. Like, Power Rangers on at 7 p.m. Well, I'll record it. And so I came home and checked the tape and it was the season two, what was the season two premiere of Lord Zed showing up. The right. status quo changes, the Zords get destroyed, the Thunder Zords come in. It was like, whoa. Oh, yeah. Even the actors we'd gotten used to seeing every single week on our TV, you know, they did 65 episodes. They all kind of looked they looked the same from episode to episode because they shot them all at the same time. Mm-hmm. This episode, you know, Austin St. John had an earring, I think, or JDF had an earring. And it was like, whoa, they're a little <laughs> different too. Yeah. That's that feeling for me as a kid is what not only we're, that's what I'm trying to, ca- we're trying to capture with Supermassive. Um, it's also why to this day I have a weird association between Neil Gaiman and Power Rangers, and I can't. I, hmm. Like that's who really should <laughs> come to a Power Rangers story. That would really bring it full circle. That'd be so um, amazing. But, but that is what to, to me Supermassive is. It's 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 an it's the kickoff event to season two of Radiant Black and season one of Rogue Sun and Infernal Girl Red. We're basically coming into sweeps or not sweeps. What we, what what did it used to be called, Ryan? When I guess premiere week. We're coming into premiere season here. 
Um, and we're going to start with a, a pretty massive sized bang. Logan. It's so sad that as an adult, my reaction to that story is being impressed by the logistics to get the toys on shelves the day of the premiere. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Big energy. Yeah. The one question we were trying to ask, because we were talking about crossovers all coming together, is what is your favorite comic crossovers uh, that you've that you've read over time? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, oh, gosh. I feel like I they, should have an answer. So crossovers, define crossover. What are the limitations of crossover? Does it have to be, is it within the same company? Is it company crossing over with another company? Is it... It's it's open to interpretation. If you think it's uh, company with company or just you know character with character, because all those moments that you say like okay, that's my favorite one. That has so much of an influence on your writings. I would imagine doing a crossover like this. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I have an answer. I would say I I'm pretty my favorite crossover of all time is Age of Apocalypse. Oh, great one. Uh, I just thought, I mean, it's it changed everything. It changed the way that I looked at comic books because I was like, wait a minute. Because I remember there was like the five issue like setup that goes into um, Legion accidentally killing Xavier. And I was like, wait, what? And then the next issue. And it was such a, there was so much buildup to that event that I was just, and I think I actually had like this, uh, when I moved around uh, a lot, right? I, when I was in uh, like my 20s, I, I like literally moved every year because that's what you do in your 20s. And I had a like a big like uh, silver bag that had all every single issue. And I loved that book. And I'd go back and read it. And I loved Madera, uh, Joe, Joe Mad's art and all that stuff. So I love that. That one did that. Also, uh, the thing that I thought was really fun was Deathmate, which was the, the Valiant image crossover that kind of came out really sporadically. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, uh, OK. I really liked that one, too, because I liked that there was no reading order. They didn't even have numbers. They were just colors. And I thought that was really cool. Okay. I would say the two that come to mind immediately um, for me, uh, I really like. Uh, I really like Jonathan Hickman's Secret War um, event and reimagining of the mythos uh, of Marvel. That's um, a good one. And I, and yeah, and I also um, really really like uh, Jeff Johns's Sinestro Corps War, like the way that it coordinates between um, Green Lantern Corps book and the main Green Lantern book, uh, and just like at that time, like when it came out it was kind of like a mini event it wasn't like the big marquee summer event of the comics industry but it ended up like beating the big whatever the big marvel event was um and it was just so focused i mean it was actually a touch point for me and ryan when we were doing shattered grid like and and figuring out like okay how do we do this you know kind of i mean this is a bigger scale than something like super massive but how do we do this in a coordinated way and and when information is learned matters and the reading order really matters and how do we use the reading order to our full advantage you know things like i love that kind of stuff so um i would say those two um and then there have been stories over the years that i've seen where i go they they nailed it because it's i feel like the best events are really about the moments between the characters meeting mm -hmm. And the more of those that you can kind of nail and give the semblance of an arc through their relationship, I think the more satisfying um, the event is for me. Um, so like there's a big, there's a Power Ranger crossover episode that, what's the one that? Um, Forever Red. No, 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 not Forever Red. Tell um, me what happens in it. I know what the name is. 
I think it's Lost Galaxy To era. the 10th power. Lost Galaxy in space? I think so, yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's to the 10th power. Yeah, and that one has these moments between um, kind of like characters like uh that you wouldn't expect to meet or te- or to have a conversation like that's the other thing we all we always tried to do on power rangers was like you know it's like who are the unlikely pairings or the pairings where there's weird there's like int- you can get to interesting character stuff you know um mm-hmm. and so that i remember that episode had a lot of that um so yeah i think for me it's less any sort of like specific event but i was really getting into comics when uh, Ultimate Spider-Man was spinning up. Oh and yeah, that's a good one. Throughout that, there were a bunch of connections to the wider Marvel universe, and a lot of times we hadn't gotten to see those corners of the Marvel universe yet. And I could only imagine at the time that this was the feeling of being back in the '60s and sort of feeling out that universe again. And I think, kind of to what Kai was saying, Spider-Man is such a great character for that because he's grounded by nature, and just who Bendis is as a writer you get to feel who these people are and what these like universe threads that connect people mean on a personal level and i and yeah i as kyle was kind of saying i think that's something that we're really chasing with supermassive was let's go absolutely huge let's live up to the name but also let's find the interpersonal implications like what does it mean for these very specific people to have met each other how is that going to change them how's that going to influence things moving forward um, so it's kind of what we're we're chasing in a lot of ways. Oh, also, also, uh, time of the Doctor, the fiftieth. Oh, that was a great one. That was I had to. Uh, I was in college when that happened, and I had to jump through hoops to watch that just because the college I went to didn't carry the BBC. So I had to get the <laughs> i i had to get i had to get the login from my parents for our cable provider because they had an app you could watch. You could go to like a website and watch it. So I plugged my laptop into my small like twenty inch television in my dorm room because I told my parents I'm not missing this. Oh, also, I'm sorry. I actually have the right answer that all of you are going to agree with. It's it's into the Spider Verse. This is your sixth one, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm just giving the people what they want, man. Absolutely. This is what we do. We just riff. Yeah, I, I think uh, like from Kyle's most recent answers, especially like for me, <laughs> not that I don't love comics crossovers. Like I read Crisis on Infinite Earths truly before I understood what that meant, and like. It was just like, who are all these people? What is happening? What is an anti-monitor? I don't understand what this book is. But it's uh, like Super Sentai is the Japanese show that they adapt into Power Rangers. And over the course of time, uh, Matt and I in particular have watched a bunch of these Super Sentai crossovers. And so every year they do a movie where the old team meets the new team. And every one of them is, they're like an hour long-ish right every one of them is just perfect they're like a a self-contained story about a bad guy from the old times coming back or a new bad guy getting like power from the uh, the old one and so the two teams team up they fight together they do cool things alongside each other they talk to each other and then it's over and done with and you had a great time and that for me was very much the model of like what do we do here? How do we... Okay, they have to meet, they have to spend time with each other so that we can get cool conversations, and then they have to do some cool shit. Right. No, yeah, that's... That, I've got to agree with that 110%. <laughs> 
And another question we had was, if you could have the dream crossover for your book with any character, any universe, who and why? Oh, my God. All right, uh, listen. Not to spoil what's to come, but... <laughs> Winnie the Pooh is in public domain now. <laughs> this is this, so, this is true. Super massive 2023. We're gonna bring the Pooh in. Yeah. All right. Evil, massive, evil Christmas massive. Robin. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm on board. Oh, I'm down for this. Uh, you know, um, I was joking, but the more I think about yeah, I, it, <laughs> Matt, we're gonna have to have a conversation about Winnie the Pooh versus Dracula, a book that I just invented, because I think that we could make it work. Oh, bother. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I? You know what would be a fun, a fun crossover? Uh, that well, yeah. Like I, I would love to. I mean, this is such a complicated answer. I would love to cross over with like Common Rider. Mm, okay. Com with a Common Rider uh, or a Common Rider season, in some way. Um, I think that would be that would be a lot of fun. Um, beyond that. Um, I'll tell you. I'll tell you my dream. My ultimate dream. Ultimate ultimate dream. Uh, would obviously be invincible. Yep. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I think that's that's a that's a pretty good one to finish on. I think that's a yeah. Hard to beat that. Yeah. Absolutely. So obviously, Supermassive is kicking off the year for you guys. Can you give us a tease about what you have coming down for fans in 2022? Hey, Michael, why don't you run through... Uh... Yeah, yeah, let's do this. Okay. Uh, Radiant <laughs> Black Year 2. Um, I think we've we've tweeted the sort of teaser poster about this. Um, I'm calling the sort of Volume 3 Rogues Gallery. I think if you've seen the teaser poster, you will understand why. Uh, we're getting into that sort of side of the superhero book, and I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, beyond that... We're still planning, but Kyle has some wild ideas about what Volume 4 might be. Uh, um, not might, what it is. What Volume 4 <laughs> will be. So uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but it, we're, go we're going big. We're going big. All right. Anything crazier is what Volumes 5 and 6 are. Wait, wait, two is the question. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rogue Sun Year 1. We're starting Rogue Sun. So... The first arc is, uh, there's a lot of stuff. We're still working our way through that first arc, but, you know, diving into what that corner of the world is like, what the the sort of superhero situation in that corner of the world is like, all of Rogue Sun's bad guys that you get to meet are all a lot of fun. Ryan is maybe the best bad guy inventor I've worked with. Like, I just get these scripts and they're like, it's, can I say the name of the one from issue two? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's Blood Moon. He's sort of like a vampire mm. werewolf. Okay. I'm like, sick. And Abel's like, hey, here's like a drawing a of that vampire werewolf. Yeah. Yeah. And also, here's yeah. Abel's drawing of that guy and he looks exactly like a vampire werewolf. And it's like, yeah, great. Issue done. All, all that we need. Uh, I think you will, you'll learn a lot. I mean, you'll learn everything about who Dylan is and what Dylan's life is like, and uh, maybe solve the murder of his father. Maybe. Mm. Or possibly. Inferno Gored Volume 1 will be out later this year. We're still hard at work. Uh, Erica's pages on it look phenomenal. Matt did a great job writing it. Um, I'm really excited. I don't know what to... Because it's a standalone, that's harder to tease. 
uh, you, you'll get to see her world, you'll get to learn who she is and what her deal is. Uh, and you will hopefully enjoy it. Yeah, I, I guess sort of just like give the super high level yeah. Inferno Red thing and, and maybe to sort of like connect it to Radiant Black thematically. I think Radiant Black was such an incredible like insight into what it means to be a millennial. And in its own way, Inferno Go Red is that for teenagers. Like, the world looks dire. These kids are coming of age in a time of just, like, being surrounded by unrelenting darkness. What does it mean and what does it require to be a light of hope in the dark in that time? And, you know, at that age, that's Inferno Go Red. Um, and if I, if I may, Michael, there yeah. is uh, one more series in the Massiverse, I think, that we should discuss. And it yeah, yeah, relates we... to uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, funny you know. Ooh. Uh, that's... It... Oh, it does relate to Ultimate Spider-Man. That's true. Yeah, uh, yeah Radiant Red is our five-issue miniseries that launches in March. Mm -hmm. uh, that is uh, spinning out of... So Radiant Black 6 was about Radiant Red's backstory. This is the same creative team, uh, minus Kyle, who is now sort of helping out rather okay, than co-writing okay. it okay all right now I'm <laughs> you've a, stepped I'm back from it kyle um so cherish chen is writing david lafuente and Mikel muerto are drawing and coloring uh it looks phenomenal this is so good this oh it's stunning um this is the story of what happens to radiant red after her most recent appearance in radiant black okay and it was we had a story so big that it wouldn't fit as like a side story in the Radiant Black book. And the Radiant Black book is about Radiant Black. So the best way for us to tell this was give it its own five-issue miniseries and let them tell that story on its own. Uh, I would so also Tommy say thinks... if, it, if it sells well, the idea for uh, another one is so cool. That Kyle has lots of I'm ideas about the thing after the thing <laughs> working on. Um, yeah, this is... Satomi thinks she's out, and uh, she's wrong, is all I'll say about that for now. Okay. This is all stemming coming out of Supermassive, which I can't stress enough for comic fans to go pick up. Make sure you have it reserved at your LCS or wherever you're purchasing comics. It's going to be dropping in February, so you definitely don't want to miss it. And I want to thank our guests for coming on the show with us, Matt Groom, Ryan Parrott, Kyle Higgins, and Michael Bilsiddle. Did I get your last name yep. right? Close enough. All right. I apologize for that. I caught it quick and I was like trying to remember it. Great. But no, seriously, thank you for coming on. This is going to be some books that you definitely need to go check out, ODPH Society. Do not sleep on these books. You want to make sure you get a couple copies, give them out to your friends, and get them hooked on these books because I'm telling you right now, these are what we're going to be talking about in 2022. That being said, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey there. I'm Chris from the Geek P Podcast here with my two co-hosts, Trent. What up? And Brandon. Yo, yo. Here at the Geek Peak, we strive to provide you the best content from all across the pop culture multiverse. Think of us as your content concierge, seeking out all the best movies, TV, games, and music to save your valuable time. We have a different adult beverage every week, and we like to keep things light and fresh, so come hang out with us. So check us out on all your favorite podcasting platforms. That's Geek Peak. Like a mountain. And check out our site at geekpeakpod.com. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And we are long overdue to recap 
the events of the biggest moves in the Star Wars universe right now. I'm not going to lie. I like the weekly release Disney has been doing since they came out with Disney+. Plus. I've said this before on the show because, hey, while once upon a time I used to be able to binge an entire show on Netflix or one of these other ones in a day, I can't do it anymore. Life has gotten too busy. I kind of wish I had this whole show out at once because it has been amazing. This show has definitely been a little polarizing. I got to admit, sure, just talking sure. to people online. But we knew going into this that not everything could be like The Mandalorian. And everybody True. really needed to kind of see what the show was going to be about. Because ever since the man, the king, the bounty hunter extraordinaire decided to grace us with his presence on the small screen in a triumphant return from the egregiousness that is Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. The Book of Boba Fett has been something that fans have been very excited about with Tamara Morrison reprising the role, Asterix restarting the role of Boba yeah, Fett, yeah. Ming-Na Wen as Fennec Shan. We knew that they were having the spinoff from The Mandalorian, and we weren't really sure what to exactly expect from the show. Uh-huh. We finally got the first two episodes out. Yep. It's been a little bit of a mixed reaction. Sure. So we are going to kind of do a deep dive into it, give you our point of view of episodes one and two of the Book of Boba Fett. You know the deal by now if you're a longtime listener. But if you're a first-time listener to the ODPH, first and foremost, thank you so much for tuning us in. Secondly, we give a countdown. And after the countdown, we go deep diving into spoilers. So if you have not seen the episode yet and you don't want it ruined for you, we tell you to pause the podcast right here and there. And then jump back in after you catch up to the episode, because once we get going, we don't like to stop. So that being said, in three, two, one, Pad, what did you think about episodes one and two of Boba Fett? Uh, not the hottest start in the world. Uh, you know, I will admit, you know, it hasn't been, you know, barn burner coming out the gate, fire shooting, guns blazing. But it's been very interesting. I knew at some point, probably, I figured at the beginning, we'd find out how exactly we got from Boba getting swallowed up by the Sarlacc, you know, all getting launched off a of Jabba's sail barge, you know, to him showing up triumphantly in the uh, Mandalorian because, hey, the uh, time between when he quote unquote died, you know, fell into the Sarlacc pit, and then he shows up in the Mandalorian is I want to say if I'm if the information I've looked up is correct, it's about roughly four years, three, four, five years, somewhere in that range. Somewhere in that range. Somewhere in that range. So there's a little, a little bit of time that's passed, and it's not just the kids. Oh, he crawled out and he's just been you know hanging out on a beachfront resort someplace, sipping on mai tais. No, he's he's been a busy individual. So I figured at some point. You know, we'd see just how exactly he got out and then maybe some of the stuff he got up to during that time, you know, but and it, it's been good. I've enjoyed it so far. I've enjoyed it. I will tell you right now, I loved episode two more than I did episode one. That's fair. Episode one, in my opinion, was a little underwhelming. I did not fall in love with the show. And I and you're obviously talking to a very big Boba Fett fan. This is true. I really kind of sat there and went, okay. We're kind of doing the slow crawl to explain the backstory of what happened to him from the Sarlacc pit. Mm -hmm. I get it. But it kind of was at the end of the episode, I went, that was it? Okay. And the only reason I, I say that is I know it's only six episodes. Sure. So you don't really have a lot of time to do, and I don't want to use the word filler. Sure. But that's kind of what it felt like see to me it felt like a two-part episode where like on you on some shows you might get like a, a two-hour season premiere type of type of deal where like one story inherently leads into the next episode you know unlike some sh- unlike some shows where like there's a bit of time that's passed between the last episode and the next episode well you know a week has passed in our time in the show 
story-wise, it's not all that much. So to me, it, it you know, it felt like a two-part, se- you know, two-hour season premiere on like ABC or something mm-hmm. like that. Something like that. So like, it was a bit of a slow burn. But uh, but again, four, three, four, five years have passed since he fell into the Sarlacc pit, you know, off Java Sail Barge. So I'm like, all right, we got to explain a little bit. Did I expect him to take as long as they did? No, but it, I was very interested to see how they did it. Oh yeah, like I said, I'm not mad at the episode. Yeah. I just felt like it was a little underwhelming because they took so long to get sure. to the end. It's like, why are we taking the scenic route when you can jump on the highway? Sure. That was the thing because with this being just a one-hour episode, mm-hmm. if they did a two-hour premiere or split the premiere up and did seven episodes, okay, then I'm, you know what? Sure. I'm, I'm fine with that. But when you really got to hit the ground running because you're giving yourself so little time to do the show, sure. you don't really have that, that, that luxury. But I, I'm i not saying no, I yeah, hated the episode. Yeah, no, I, I want to stress that. I really didn't expect a whole lot of, like, or I, like, I didn't expect anything like, you know, the first episode of Mandalorian where the child showed up at the end. And it's like, holy shit, how did they keep that under wraps? Because I opened the Disney Plus app the day the show came out and saw 39 minutes. And I'm like, all right, this is on the relatively short side. It's going to be clear cut to the point. Nothing real, hey, crazy, you know, we don't really have to dwell on a whole lot. Right. But as this episode kicks up, we do get the recap of what exactly happened in the Sarlacc. Yep. And Boba does survive. As I've been telling people for years, you can't kill the baddest bounty hunter in the galaxy that way. It's a better explanation than they gave in the old expanded universe, the old canon for the books, which if, and I could be wrong, so apologies. If memory serves, it was simply he detonated his jetpack and it spit him out. Yeah. Which I got to admit is kind of a shitty, you know, shitty explanation. I dug this better. It was a lot more visceral and a lot more in your face than that one was. And I dug the shit out of it. Also, side note. To whatever site, because I can't remember who it was, wrote, why is there a stormtrooper in the Sarlacc when Boba Fett's in there? Did you fucking watch the movie? Come yeah. on. Yeah, exactly. No, that... Just incensed me that, a little bit. Yeah, that made sense, but that's just... You can tell who's been watching Star Wars since day one and who's not. And that's the one thing with the these Disney Plus shows. Due to the popularity of The Mandalorian, yeah. you're getting a new audience coming in. Yeah. So when you're trying to explain old canon... Sure. Sometimes there's a disconnect. So well, I could I could understand that. Well, at, at the same token, though, like, you don't have to be a super big Star Wars fan like I am. Like, you just have to watch the movie once, see that the Sarlacc swallows about eight or nine stormtroopers, whatever. It's a really, it's a, it's more than one. Yeah. You know, like, it's not this super, like, blink and you miss it. It's in the background and unless you, you know, it's not like the stormtrooper hitting his head in, in A New Hope, where, like, you have to know about it and you have to see it and get it pointed out to you before you see it. Like, it's pretty in your face. Absolutely. So this day definitely made a lot of sense. I was happy with this, too, because sure. it was a lot better than him blowing up the jetpack. Yes. And obviously when he does the triumphant crawl out of the desert, uh-huh. he's met by some old friends. Uh, these motherfuckers. <laughs> your anger for Jawas is my anger for Ewoks. I get them, but just, like, they're annoying. I know. That's, like I said. Like and, and I don't, like, hate them. It's just them in the universe. They're annoying. They are. But they do what they do, and they steal everything off Boba. And, and le- legitimately, if it ain't nailed down to the ground, and even then it probably would get still stolen. Yeah. So as he's left for dead, he gets picked up by some Tusken Raiders. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of where everything jumps a little back and forth. Yep. Because obviously we now go to where we left him last in The Mandalorian, where he took over Boba's or uh, Jabba's throne. Jabba's palace, yep. And him and Fennec are trying to establish... Their will, so to speak, mm-hmm. trying to set the tempo that they are the new kings and queens of 
the throne left by Jabba the Hutt. The Daimyo, I think, is what the official title I, is called. I think that's what it I was. I could be wrong on the pronunciation, but it's it's something to that effect. But as Uncle Ben once said, with great power comes great responsibility. However, you need to earn that responsibility because just yeah. they're walking around. And, I mean, they're getting some acceptance of this. Yeah, because I don't remember. Because I know Fennec brings it up at one point that, like, when he st- when Boba goes from the palace to walking through the streets of Mos Espa, you know, he he doesn't want to get carried. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, I want to walk. You know, I'm I'm fine with walking. And people are kind of looking at him weird. And Fennec brings up, she's like, listen, they're not used to this. They're used to, like, bowing because the huts will get paraded through the streets. This is weird for him, I'm sure. This is also weird for them because for the movies we've seen, Jabba's been in power for, like, was in power for, like, 25, 30-some-odd years. And that's just the one, that's just as far as I know off the top of my head without doing any research to see in the canon how far back he's gone in rule. It could be hundreds, if not thousands of years. Yeah, so there is definitely a little space there Yeah, that they got to work with. Yeah. But as they're kind of walking around and establishing their presence, they do get some guards, uh-huh. some very noteworthy guards. Yeah, Gamorrean guards. So these were two uh, guards that, you know, used to work for Jabba the Hutt, you know, but they they were like almost begging for their life in their their uh, Gamorrean speak, which is, you know, just pig squealing. And he's like, listen, you were loyal to Jabba. If I spared your lives, would you be loyal to me? And it's almost like you could see the cartoon heads nodding like, yeah, yeah, no, we'll, we'll be loyal. We'll be loyal. Yeah. So he's now establishing his crime family. I Ret, uh, Retinue. Yeah. So he's, you know, implementing his will. And this is what he wants to do because obviously filling Jabba's shoes uh-huh. is no easy task. No. And as he's walking around, he pops into a cantina. Yep. And he runs into Garza. Uh huh. And obviously, Garza is welcoming of what's going on. Well, at first, she doesn't know who he is. She's just kind of like, oh, hey. It's, it's, you just walk into like some high end establishment, like, oh, hey, here's our list of services and what we offer. Would you like anything? You know, can we shine your shoes for you? And then she realizes just who he is. And, she, and it's almost like, oh, shit. Yeah. But once that kind of piece is made, he comes out of the cantina. And he's greeted by some assassins. Because of course he is. They ain't even in charge of things for five minutes, and he's only got already got issues. Well, that's the whole thing. If you want to be on the throne, you got to protect the crown. This is true. 24-7. So this is something that I don't think he was expecting. And I'm not saying he was very novice about this. Sure. But he had to think about this. How many times has he worked for somebody right. along the same power level of Jabba and people weren't trying to kill said person. Yeah, well, and it, and it's like at least a year, if not two, has passed between Return of the Jedi and this and this movie. So Bib Fortuna, who was Jabba's right hand man for, I want to say since Episode One, I could be wrong, you know, but there's a similar person of his of his uh, uh, alien species in uh, Phantom Menace. Whether it's him or not, I don't know. Yeah. But, like, Bit Fortuna, you know, was there in Return of the Jedi, so he took over. He's the one we saw got killed at the end of Season 2 Mandalorian. So he's been in power, you know, for at least, you know, two, three, four, five years, whatever it is. And you're telling me that none of the assassins had issue with him, that they were like, nah, you're good. And all of a sudden, Boba shows up out of nowhere, like, oh, hey, that's right, we got to start killing this guy and take our land back. Well, it's something that when you make a big power move in that world, you're going to ruffle some feathers. True. I mean, we've seen this in many incarnations throughout television history. Yeah. And, and in, in society, too. Yeah. And go back and watch. I forget what season. There's one season of the Clone Wars where you do see the Hut family. You mm-hmm. know, cause, and, and it is literally like, you know, something out of the Godfather. They are very much, you know, the Star Wars equivalent of like an Italian mafia crime family. Mm-hmm. 
So during this scuffle, though, he does get hurt. Yep. Shand does what Shand does, which every time I see Ming Na Wen fighting, I'm, I'm oh, immediately yeah. having Agents of Shield flashbacks yeah. because she is always a badass in whatever role she plays. I wonder if she does her own stunts. She has to. Has to. Like I know there's a couple of William Defoe, you know, Jason Statham, The Rock. Yeah. Presumably Cena as well. But like I want, I wonder if she does her own her own stunts because that whole action sequence was phenomenal. Oh, absolutely. And she definitely made her presence felt. That's why Fennec is going to be the takeoff character from the show. Oh, absolutely. I, I'm fully sold on this. Absolutely. And she captures the assailant. They go back to Boba's palace, I guess you could call it. His throne. Yeah. His, like, it's so weird think, trying to say it's a palace. Yeah, you, you say palace or castle because that, it, it has that weird look to it. I mean, Star Wars-wise, there's yeah, not really yeah. castles, but yeah. that's the way I took it. And then he goes back to his flashbacks. Yep. And then he's kind of recapping his time with the Tuscans. Yep. And obviously, what he had to do to survive there, kill the creature. Yeah. You know, and he definitely was earning the respect of the Tuscan leaders mm-hmm. that were there. And their fans online, I know, are making a fun connection between the, the group of Tuscan Raiders in the comics. Mm-hmm. You know, this is nothing official. It's just kind of fun headcanon if you want to take it or not. And I can't take credit for this. The YouTube channel Star Wars Explained presented this. And I'm like, no, you know what? This could be. Uh, in the comics, uh, I think it was the Vader comics, there was an issue where Vader had to go back to Tatooine. And he ended up getting ambushed by a uh, group of Tusken Raiders. And he just went full ro- end scene from Rogue One on him, you know, and just started slaughtering everyone. But he left one alive. Yeah. And the other one ran to, you know, a, a gr- another uh, group of Tusken Raiders, told them what happened. And then this group started worshiping him as a god or a deity they built a whole statue in his effigy they started dressing like him and they started you know training the women along with the male warriors which training the women in the tuscan raider culture is not very much the norm it's very far from it and i gotta say the tuscan raiders from the comics look kind of like the ones we see in the show so could they be that group that worships vader maybe that's the way i got it because you see how they gravitated towards Boba after what he did. And you also think of how you see them in the prior instances we've seen them in the films. They don't look like the ones we've seen. No, they definitely don't. They definitely had that Vader homage to them. Uh-huh. Like that's, you can see in the in the facial mask. Especially the leader. Yes. I fully agree with you about that. I was like, I was watching him going, oh, this is definitely uh-huh. showing some love to Vader. Uh-huh. Which I'm not mad about. No. Never mad about this. But that's how episode one ends. Yeah. So I thought it was a good episode, but like I said, yeah. they took a long time to get going. Sure. But I wasn't mad about it. This episode directed by Robert Rodriguez, too. Uh-huh. And it definitely had that feel like he does his movie. So I, I, like I said, I yeah. wasn't mad about it, but I thought they it was just a little underwhelming because when they jumped around, sure, it, it felt to me like... Okay, we're going, we're going, and then we immediately stop, hit the brakes, and go in reverse. They made it. They did, That is true, but at least for me... They did enough to kind of differentiate. They're like, okay, hey, we're jumping. Because I've had that issue with stuff in recent history. Oh, sure. Where they jump around and it's like, oh, wait, shit, we're jumping around in time. They made at least enough with this where it's like, oh, hey, previously previously in his history. Yeah, no, I had no issue with that. And that's why I say just the jumping around, especially for a first episode. Sure. Like, I like to have my first episodes really explain a lot, not give everything away. Right. But the time jumping and just especially when they get going was kind of... You know, like I say, the story of how he was earning his respect with the Tuscan Raiders, that I felt took a little long out of the episode. Sure. Like I said, wasn't the end of the world, but I just felt it was a little underwhelming. Sure. However, though, 
Episode two, the Ooh, tribe of Tatooine. Yo, this goddamn. This was the episode I was waiting for. Goddamn. Because we immediately go back to Boba and Fennec questioning that assassin. Uh huh. And that assassin won't talk. Yeah, he's from this group that like. And I love I you know John Favreau wrote both episode one and episode two for this this show or this series. You know I love the dialogue he put between the well the assassin because the assassin didn't say anything, and then Fennec Boba and then the translation droid the protocol droid because the protocol droids like he'll never talk he's a part of this group they just don't talk and and Fennec's like now nah, we'll get him to talk and just the dialogue back and forth was incredible yes absolutely and then they kind of play it off Fennec which I love that she's the enforcer of this group uh-huh kicks him down into the pit yeah she's like oh I wonder how he'll do with the rancor he almost shits his pants gets dumped in there and I'm like wait a minute the rancor's dead did they get another one? It's, I mean, it's possible. <laughs> oh, it presses the button. Like you see in the move, uh, Return of the Jedi, press the button. He drops in. The whole throne moves forward. Door opens up. He's like, I'll talk. I'll talk. I was hired by the mayor. I was hired by the mayor. The door finally opens, and she just goes, there's no rancor, dumbass. It's empty. Yeah. But he gets the information he wanted because, allegedly, it's the mayor of Mos Espa. Uh-huh. So... Boba decides to pay a house call. Yeah, because at this point, you know, when everyone in the first episode was coming to pay their their honor and respect to the new daimyo, mm-hmm. uh, the mayor sent a representative. The mayor couldn't be bothered to show his uh, his pleasure and appreciation to the new daimyo, mm-hmm. and that he uh, he and he basically inferred that you don't run things, I do, and we're gonna have a conversation later. Yes, but. When Boba decides to pay that house call, he is compensated by the mayor. Yeah, for you know his time and service with the assassin. I'll say this: you know this is all b- b- uh, after the uh, secretary stonewalls him. Yes. Can't, oh no, he's he's indisposed. He's out of town. Walks in the door. And he's just like sitting there. Yeah, and it's just kind of that weird setup that he's like, you know, why would I do this? Yeah. Really, you think I would do this out the gate? Because even the mayor knows who he is. Yeah, exactly. Like his legacy is legendary amongst the galaxy. So uh-huh. if you're especially gonna, Tatooine, yeah, if you're going to come after Boba, you better not miss. Uh-huh. And I think he's smart enough to realize that, like, if he was behind it, yeah, he get the hell out of town or the planet or solar system, like however far he could run. Uh huh. But he does kind of say, "Well, if I didn't do it, you got to think who else did." Yeah. So why don't you go pay a why don't you go pay a visit to uh, the old the old uh, sanctuary? Yeah, so he goes to the back to the cantina, yep. talks to Garza, and Garza kind of goes, "Well, um, I might have a lead, yeah, uh-huh. maybe." And then we start hearing a drumming and entourage coming to the sanctuary. Uh huh. And I got to admit, I went, "Oh, you got to be kidding me!" Uh huh. Who do we see? Uh, two hut twins uh, who are in some way, some fashion, related to uh, Bo- uh, not Boba Fett, uh, Jabba the Hut. Yeah, and I went, oh, this just got interesting, and you can kind of tell that, uh, yeah, they might have tipped their hand a little bit. That yeah, we might have hired somebody. Yeah, we're not gonna say we did, but we, but you know, it's possible. They're, they're they're the huts. They're much like you know Kingpin in the Marvel universe. You know. He's involved in it. Just good luck proving it was him. Yeah. And they try... I had a laugh about this. I actually laughed out loud. They tried shaking down Boba. Yeah. And Boba's like, um, you can leave. But basically. Yeah. I'm not going anywhere 
if you really want some, come get some. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> and then we kind of just go into another flashback sequence, which I said, I'm, I'm not mad how they did this one because I thought this one made a little more sense. Yeah. Because he was going back to when he had to go fight and protect his turf. Yep. Because as he's hanging with the Tuscans, they're getting attacked by a space train. Yeah. Which I'm pretty sure had a pod racer engine strapped to the top of it. Yeah, this was like some Mad Max stuff. Oh, Mad Max, or it also reminded me of like the polar opposite of, uh, oh, that Chris Evans movie that they turned into a TV oh, show. Oh, Snowpiercer? Thank you. It reminded me of the polar opposite of Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer set on Earth in the snow, this one on a desert planet. You know, train constantly moving. But then I was like, I'm looking at this thing going, is that a pod racer engine strapped to the top of it? All right. Yeah, just with some of the imagery that they had strapped to this train. Because this was no ordinary train. No, like that, no. that was the thing about it that I had the immediate Mad Max thing, except we didn't have a guy with a flamethrower playing guitar on the top. Shut if up. they did that, it would have been the greatest episode of all time at OD Parlay Hour. Debate me about that. This is true. But we do see that they are attacking Boba's tribe. Yeah. And then he comes up with the idea of like, okay. We're going to stop the train. We're going to stop this. And they're looking at him like, what? Yeah. So he decides to go, okay, I happen to know where this, can we call them a biker gang? Sure. Okay. So there's a a pod racer biker gang. Yep. That is kind of terrorizing an establishment. And Boba walks in just with a wooden stick. I want to I note this. Well, he did have a, a weapon, I believe, at one point. Yeah, I think he had like a gaffy stick or whatever it's called that the uh, Tuscan Raiders use. And he, and this scene reminds me of the movie A Bronx Tale. Okay. When there is a biker gang that comes into one of the establishments and the head crime boss slides the bat in the door mm-hmm. and says, you guys aren't leaving. And him and his uh, crime family beat the absolute bejesus out of this biker yeah. gang. Yeah. I had this, I immediately heard Come Together, Come On, because that's what it played in Bronx Tale. And Boba goes to town beating the holy snot out of this gang. And then takes their pod racers. Uh Uh-huh. Which I'm like, that's Boba. That is why nobody messes with him. He has no armor, too. Like, he just has a stick. Uh Uh-huh. So he winds up bringing the pod racers back. He literally goes out of nowhere training everybody. Yep. I'm training them how to Utah, training, trying to train, train them and teach them how to use the speeder bikes, you know, while not being able to speak their language and being resort to like broken English and then some form of sign language. Yeah, it was kind of crazy how they were doing the language barrier with this. But it, I, it was but, funny. But I, yeah, it was funny. Like it made sense for the for the show. Like uh-huh. I said, I, I had no issue with this. And then he leads them on the attack. Uh-huh. So I'm not sure how long he was training them for. A couple of days, maybe. It had to be. And then they decided to just go run up on that train by themselves. Yeah, and I noticed something in regards to who was on said train. Mm. Members of the Pike uh, family and the Pike Syndicate, which is one of the crime organizations in the galaxy, that were also, and I want to point this out because I got a theory given, you know, some stuff, uh, you know, were involved with Death Watch and specifically Darth Maul. That was Darth Darth Maul's crime organization who last we saw or heard mention of said organization was in Solo uh, when one Kira was working for said organization. Yes. Just saying. Don't know what happened to Kira. We don't know, but maybe we'll find out. Mm. But there is a cool action sequence going on because basically they're outnumbered. It's a back-and-forth battle. Yeah. Which the train gang, as I'll just refer to them as, 
is picking off Boba's crew left and right. Like the marksmanship they are doing is oh, phenomenal. Yeah. This, but Boba finds a way to basically commandeer the train in a very crazy action sequence because he's just going to town with his crew. They do wind up commandeering the train. Yep. The robot engineer decides to activate the uh, overdrive. Overdrive burns the shit out of one of the Tusken Raiders on the top of the damn thing. Yeah, it's a wild sequence, and then jumps ship. Uh huh. And lives. Yes. I was like, oh wow, you're jumping and you're totally gonna kill you. Oh no, just kidding, you're alive. Yes. How is it? Like, I hope he comes back. That would be the funniest thing if like. The robot's just chilling in Mosespa someplace, like, telling the story. Like, you will not believe what the hell happened to me the other day. And he's going through telling the story. He turns out, oh, shit. Yeah. So they wind up commandeering the train. They get the spice that's on it. Uh Uh-huh. And it's now officially Boba's a made man with his crew. Yep. So they do this weird, trippy sequence where the head of the Tusken Raiders gives Boba guidance. Uh, Uh-huh. Air quotes. Yes. And it is a creature that... This is weird. Yeah, this, like I said, let's get weird, folks. Goes up his nose. Not for the squeamish. No, definitely wasn't. He's going to give you guidance. How is he going to give me guidance? From your head. Yeah. So, basically, it's like this weird peyote-type trip that... The only thing I can remember is, like, when Young Guns came out. Yeah. Something, like, was going on there, but just... I was thinking maybe uh, Black Panther. That you had that whole whole sequence, too. Yeah, that could be, too. He's, Boba starts going on this soul journey yeah. to find himself and basically come to terms of, like, I cheated death. I have more of a purpose. He gets wrapped up by a tree out in the middle of nowhere. We're also seeing a lot of Camp Camino in, mm. the, in this show because we got a couple of glimpses of it, you know, in the first episode. A couple more glimpses of it in the second episode. And the tree he goes up meeting in the middle of the damn desert is now, at least as appears to him, in the middle of a roiling ocean with uh, water as far as the eye can see, much like Camino. I'm banking, folks, we're going to see Camino at some point. I agree with you. Let's get weird. Because that's how, that's how this whole sequence was. Yeah. And then he basically comes out, comes back with a stick. With a tree. Yeah. I'm not asking questions at this stage. I'm just like... Because to our recollection, I don't think we've ever seen a tree on Tatooine anywhere. I, I have never seen one. No. So, Pad, what do we chalk it up to? Reasons. So here we go. Boba comes, gives the tree to the head of the Tuscan family, and then they start wrapping him in robes. I think you know. I think they indoctrinated him or inducted him into their group or their tribe. Yeah, I, th- I think it was just like ritual. That like, hey, you know, it- it's like any young Tuscan raider will g- grow up and have to do this ritual or something like that. And come, I think it was a similar type of thing. Yeah, which I had no issue with, and that's how the em- episode ends. It's a good, solid episode. Solid episode. So in recap, pad one and two. Final thoughts? Great two episodes. Love the hell out of them. Also got to give a shout out to uh, John Favreau for writing this episode. Also including the comics character, and I'm going to butcher this last name, Black uh, Kirstian, uh, K-R-R-S-A-N-T-A-N, who it was the Wookiee gladiator that the Hutts brought along with him. He came around the corner and I'm going, having read the comics, going, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. He first showed up in Darth Vader issue number one from 2015. That was written by Karen Gillian. Uh, Gillen, which is a phenomenal run. You should absolutely check it out on Trade Paperback if you get the opportunity. Uh, was hired by Vader to track down Luke if memory serves. So, solid and loved seeing... Lo- I love seeing those little connections from the comic. Even if they're not huge and, like, integral to the story, if it's just this little cameo, this little throw for the fans, loved it. Yes. This episode two is very strong, and I definitely enjoyed it a lot more than I did episode one. Episode one was good. Like, I'm, I'm not going to take it away. 
But I thought they really hit the ground running with two. We're now getting an understanding of what Bo yeah. is going through, and I understand they're trying to do almost in the sense of like how Arrow did their flashbacks, you know, sure. like present time, and now uh-huh. wait, I did this already, and yep. this, you know, like I get that vibe from it, and I'm not mad about it because they did this a lot cleaner in episode two than they did one. But look at the powerhouse team they got working on this. Oh yeah, so, absolutely, and I think I do agree with you on the Arrow connection, but unlike Arrow, I don't think it's going to take five years to complete the uh, the flashbacks. Oh, but if it only does. <laughs> If we can get some Deathstroke on there, I know I'm fan casting. I don't care. I'm saying if we can get Slade Wilson to magically appear, just reasons I'm good with this. But if you want that battle, Crossover Collision did an episode breaking those two down. You need to listen to that one. But overall, the book of Boba Fett has delivered. It's gotten mostly positive reviews. Yeah. A couple polarizing issues going yeah, on. Yeah, I saw an article from Variety. The viewership for it was up 13% over what it was for Hawkeye. Well, you have to figure, though, the Star Wars universe is bigger than the Marvel one. It's a weird thing if you if you're a fandom of both, sure, because you think they coincide with each other. Sure, I w- I would agree with you, but I would also say that like right now, present day, Marvel is bigger than Star Wars. Right now, yeah, because the movies aren't out and it's kind of in that transitional phase. Sure, sure. But this is one that if you were a fan growing up with the original three, not the prequels, but the original three, you can relate to Boba because oh, yeah. that's your character. So I understand why viewership is up, and they've delivered so far. Yeah. They're entertaining fans. This is a great show to check out, and we're going to be definitely deep diving into every episode moving forward. But we want to hear your takes because we just gave you ours. So hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. The Book of Boba Fett, episodes one and two. Let's talk, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Ah, yeah, Brian Wayne here, your host of the Cheers to Comics podcast, the podcast dedicated to delivering the most current content in the world of comic books. So whether you're looking for the most spectacular interviews of the creators that make the things that we love, or you're looking to maybe line your pockets with some speculation, this is the podcast for you. So tune in on Mondays and Fridays, and you are guaranteed to never miss a beat the pulse of this amazing, amazing comic book industry. Cheers. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got for those one-shots? Got to talk about a couple of things. The first of which came so far out of left field, you can argue it started in foul territory. Uh, So as we record, the night prior, I believe it was like 9.30 or 10 o'clock, I was in the middle of watching Harry Potter uh, as I've been doing a rewatch of the entire franchise since, you know, it's the 20th anniversary of the first movie. Uh, Hopped on Twitter just to see what was going on for a minute while it was a bit of a lull in the movie. And PlayStation decided to announce the PS VR 2. Oh. So this is their VR thing. They're announcing the second iteration of it. Did not see this at all coming. Totally out of and especially the fact that it was, you know, peek behind the curtain, a little inside baseball, if you will. It was at 9.30, you know, 9, 30, 10 o'clock or whatever it was on a freaking Tuesday night of all times. So that was super bizarre. You know, they talked, they announced that, they gave a little specs about it, but who cares about that? But it, they did announce one game coming for it, and it's from the folks at uh, Guerrilla Games, and god damn it, this probably means I'm going to have to get a PSVR 2 along mm-hmm. with a PlayStation 5. I think you do. Uh, because this is a Horizon Call of the Mountain. It is set in the same world as the Horizon Zero Dawn franchise. Not really much was shown from it, just a quick little glimpse. You know, it was a guy from Guerrilla Games Studios talking and introducing it a little bit, but then it was just this quick little glimpse. So super interested and very bizarre and out of left field for them to announce something at 
very late Eastern on a Tuesday of all nights, but hey, good for them. Yeah, very surprising news to hear from this. And the minute that's dropped, I'm like, oh, Pat's going to be so pissed. Yeah, going to have to get a PSVR 2. Also got to talk about some anime news because, of course, one of the most anticipated movies I have for this coming year isn't comic book related, not sci-fi related, not even, I think Knives Out 2 is coming out this year, maybe? I don't know. Allegedly. Uh, No, it's Dragon Ball Super Superhero. Of course, this is the next iteration in the Dragon Ball franchise. It's the furthest in the timeline. They have gone with the animated projects. Obviously, the uh, what is it? The the manga has gone a little bit further than uh, where we left off in the anime series. But in a video that was posted just the other day, uh, series creator uh, Akira Toriyama did tease a little, possibly something else coming out this year, mm-hmm. uh, saying, "Quote: There's also a chance that something other than the movie will be coming this year too." What that entirely means? Nobody's quite sure. Could be the manga. The uh, anime did catch up to where the manga was at that point. The manga has kept going. I've read some of what's been going on, and you thought Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Super was already fucking nuts. Just wait till they do some of that stuff on screen. Uh, I'm I'm interested to see what this is, though, because it's, it's going to be very interesting, and I'm super amped up for it. Yeah, this sounds very interesting. I I don't know where to go with this. Yeah, no, I don't either. It could be anything. It could be a new game, you know, which I'd be all for. You know, I, I saw somebody uh, suggesting the other day online doing a sequel to the Dragon Ball Z Kakarot uh, game, which I was like, my initial immediate thought was, oh, a sequel. I'm like, you kind of already did with some of this DLC they included, but then somebody suggested doing one for Dragon Ball, mm-hmm. like this series that took place before Dragon Ball Z, and I was like, you know what? I'd be down for that. I'm super amped up for that. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely yeah. some fun stuff coming there. Yeah, and then since it is the new year, we do got to mention, uh, this year marks the 20th anniversary of Kingdom Hearts releasing. Holy uh, shit. Way back when on the PlayStation 2. Uh, so they've the team and... Uh, uh, the team behind it at uh, Square Enix have teased they've got some stuff coming this year because it's the 20th anniversary. What it entails, I have no idea. It can't be a re-release since they already put it out on PS4 and the Xbox uh, One, and you can play both of those versions on the new systems. Maybe it's an animated series. There's been an animated series and or, or a live-action series rumored for at least 15 years. You know, whether it's a new game or something other, I don't know. I'm excited for it, and uh, happy anniversary, Kingdom Hearts. Anything Kingdom Hearts I know makes you super happy. So, yes. you know what, I'm happy for you. That's, yes. I know that's your game. I mean, Square Enix. Yeah. You know, I, I, like I say, they've gotten so much of a mystique with this game that they got to deliver something that they're teasing. Yeah. So we'll kind of have to wait to see how that pans out. Uh, the only real thing that was sticking out to me is there was some noise about Morbius. Okay. And it has now been delayed to April 1st. Which is ironic. It is ironic. I know this movie is polarizing, to put it politely, with a lot of the fandom. Um, And I know there's some interest of why. And according to comicbook.com, in an article written by Adam Barnhart, Mm -hmm. uh, it's reportedly delayed due to Spider-Man No Way Home. I believe that Spider-Man No Way Home is still doing phenomenally in the box office. Don't want to take away from that at the box office with another film coming out. Yeah, so, I mean, I can understand that. Yeah. I, it's not pushed back. We're not having a new mutant situation. <laughs> so, to clarify, I know our guy JT from the East Coast Avengers is lobbying uber hard to get this movie out and try and go into the premiere for this. So, we got to try making his dream happen. But yeah. I know this film, like, it's not moving the needle for me per se. I know there's a lot of online speculation but this answer makes a lot more sense than what everybody is specking. Because, yeah. obviously, if you've seen No Way Home, you know everything got a nice reset. I'm not mm-hmm. spoiling anything. 
it is what it is at this stage because we give the 72-hour embargo and then it's fair game. So either way, if you're a Morbius fan, you got some more time to get anticipated. If you're not, well, you know what? This is not going to bother you too much. No. But you know, like I say, it's either one or the other right now. The trailers are coming. Who knows what to expect? But we'll be covering it regardless here on the ODPH. Comic picks this week. Well, kind of a little quieter week to kick in the new year. Yeah. Uh, Marvel Inferno 4 is coming out, so definitely excited to see what is going on in that series. It's absolutely been wild. DC, well, you know, they're kind of you know going into the stages as well. The new yep. Batman is out now, so obviously it's a transition of the guard there, but Batman 119 is out, so you definitely want to go check that out. And obviously on parlay points, we got the latest issue of Basilix from Cullen Bunn okay. and Jonas Scharf. Listen, this book is absolutely awesome. It's brutal, though. I am not going to shy away from telling people this. This is very much in your face. It delivers on everything. Bun and Sharp drop an amazing issue. And I'm showing Pad the cover here, too. Ooh. That, That's the, nice. Yeah, this is a beautiful cover yeah. that Sharp did for, yeah. for the book. And like I say, it's not exactly for everybody, but I will say this. If you're looking for something a little different, this book is up your alley. I definitely recommend it highly. So make sure to go check it out when you hit the LCS this week. And I want to give a quick plug. This Sunday, as we are recording, January 9th, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, is the 2021 Cheersy Awards. So Brian Wayne and I are going to be teaming up to give the awards out for the best in comics from the past year. This is going to be a fun episode. We're going to be doing, I guess we're doing it live this year on stream. Oh. So we're going to do that, and I'll be going to podcast form. It's always one of my favorite episodes to do. Shout out to my comic brother from another mother, because Brian and I like to talk comics a lot. This is true. We talk on DMs a lot about comics. So that being said, get ready for a fun, fun, fun show recapping the best in the comic books. As we always say, support your local comic shops and support your local comic Podcast. I'm going to say right now, this episode's going to be like four hours. Lock. I Last year's was five. Oh, shit. I'm not lying. Brian and I got going and brought up the egregiousness of Three Jokers. Oh, yeah. And you know my feelings yeah. on that book. Yeah. It's not Clone Saga level. It's close. But it, it lingers around there. So that all being said, the music you heard on this edition of the ODPH, is that a shout at the robots? They have a monster 2022 coming up. And, Pad, if you're not on board yet, where do you go to find out about them? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. Swing on over to the music section. Check out everything they're doing. Brian Wolf has got so much stuff coming out, too. I'm hoping he gives us the next single. I've heard that's coming very, very soon. So I know Brian is a subscriber to the show. He should probably send it to us so we can put it on the end of the show for sports. Just saying. You can also check out everything going on with Yard Party, who will be on the ODPH by the end of the year. I'm already given the 365 days. We'll get them on a lot sooner. We are long overdue to have those guys on the show. They have an amazing album out that people really need to go check. You can also check out Second Suitor, Tom Jolu, Floodlands, all the amazing musicians that come on the show. You can also swing on over to the directory while you're at the website. Which, Pat, how many providers are we on right now? Like 1,500. And four. Growing every day, so we are on your favorite podcast platform. So if you're not following us by now, you just got to find it, hit follow, and we will show up each and every week onto your podcast list. It's that simple. Also, while you're at the website, check out the classified section, which has friends of the show, organizational link support, and Black Lives Matter. All the amazing pod groups we are in via their Podchaser pages, because you know my rule. If you claim you're in a pod group on Twitter and you're not represented on Podchaser, you're not in a group. Deal with it. 
So obviously, shout out to the Inner Circle. Shout out to the Apocalypse growing every week, Pad. Got a lot of new members in there. And these new members are definitely hitting the ground running. Pod Raid this week for Geek Peak was amazing and still growing strong going into the weekend too. And of course, shout out to our family over at 607 Podcast and 8122 Productions. All of that, so much more, odphpodcast.com. That's all I got for this week. So for the one and only Pad of 1J. Happy New Year. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you again to Matt Groom, Ryan Parrott, and Kyle Higgins for coming on the ODPH, talking about Supermassive. And I can't stress this enough. You better have Supermassive in your pull list when it drops in February. You better have Rogue Sun lined up right behind it, too. And you better have Inferno Girl Red locked and loaded in your pull list this summer as well. They're going to be phenomenal books. And Radiant Black, what can you say about that that hasn't already been said? All of those books is what you should have in your collection at OD Parlay Hour. Let's talk about them on Twitter, shall we? Let's do it for 2022. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. We'll see you next time.